0: say it's great to be back with all of you guys again today for uh, my last Sunday here. It's crazy. Summer has flown by so much. And I will say it is, it's great to be back, uh, back in church and on the stage. And so the last week at uh, Lake James Camp with uh, the pre-teen group, which is like the uh, the 4th through 6th grade, you know, those 9, 10, 11, 12 year olds, spent a full week immersed and. 4th, 5th, and 6th graders. 155 of them to be exact. So uh, that was probably one of the most exhausting experiences of my life. And that's not an exaggeration. And, you know, I made a a, a very wise decision that on my day off between Sunday and, you know, between Friday and Sunday, to spend that day at an amusement park, Cedar Point. Not the wisest moment in my life, I'll tell you that right now. So if if I have to, you know, clear my throat or or cough or have one of those awkward voice cracks, you know why. Alright? You know why. Now let's talk about Johannes Gutenberg. For those of you who may not know his name, he is the historical figure who invented the printing press. Ever since... Uh, Gutenberg was a man on his own. He had this goal, this dream, of creating some sort of device that could essentially print ink onto a page faster than handwriting could. And he had worked toward this dream. Uh, A few of Gutenberg's friends found out he was working toward this invention. And they wanted in. This was uh, private work that Gutenberg was doing, but few friends of his closest friends found out, and they wanted in. So five of them, you know, threw in some money at Gutenberg and said, hey, let's make a contract here, we'll supply you some money, you uh, help make this invention possible. And that worked. But there was a, a clause in that contract to where if one of the, you know, original five in the contract died, that the, the heirs to that, that dead friend would just get, you know, compensated fairly and that the contract would not include them in there. They would not take the, their, their father's spot. So it came. A couple of years later, one of the friends passed away, and the heirs, the, the son of that man, wanted in. He wanted into this contract. But, you know, due to that clause, he was not allowed in.
1: And he actually filed a
0: lawsuit, or I'm not sure how they did it back then in the 1400s, but he brought out a lawsuit against... Gutenberg, and after a a long, trying trial, Gutenberg did win, you know, he had the contract rights to this, but that wasted so much time, energy, and resources on winning that lawsuit. But still determined, but now on his own, his, his four friends all backed out of him after that, Gutenberg was more determined than ever to finish his printing press to finish his big dream, his big goal in life. And he came along several years, he's been great progress, but he ran into a financial situation where he could no longer support the invention, he needed help. A man with the last name uh, Fust came in and was willing to uh, invest in him, but he was looking for a quick return on his money. But Gutenberg was a, a precise, hard worker, he wanted everything to be perfect, correct. No mistakes. No cutting corners. So when the, the project began taking a little longer than Fust would like, Fust was not happy and, and demanded money in return. And it brought another lawsuit against Gutenberg. To so where this one, Gutenberg then lost. Having to pay back the entire investment plus compound interest. So they ended up paying like two and a half times more than was even invested in the first place. And that was such a major setback to Gutenberg's dream, his goal, of inventing the printing press. But that still didn't stop him. that obstacle didn't get in the way. He continued on, he got some help from his son-in-law, and the two of them together finished the printing press in about 1450 AD. Despite all the roadblocks, despite all the obstacles that Gutenberg faced, in this long, trying time of his career goals. He never, ever gave up. He persevered. He pushed on. He pressed on through them. He never gave up. Press on to the calling. Today we're going to be in Acts 9, verses 20-31. We're going to see Saul in a very different light than we did last week. Earlier in chapter 9, we see Saul as this great antagonist of Christians. He was the persecutor of them. Now, in today's passage, Saul is a changed man. And he is now pursuing God's calling to his life. The work that Jesus set him apart for. We heard a little bit about that last week when when Jesus was talking to Ananias saying, Paul is going to be my instrument to bring the word of God to the Gentiles. And we see in this passage, he is pressing on and pursuing that calling. The, the goal or objective of this sermon today is to encourage us to strive after God's calling for our lives.
1: And we are going to see a great
0: example here of Saul. As Saul then presses on through many different obstacles and trials in life as he is pursuing his goal, his calling. As we begin, we should really understand and look at what, what was Saul's calling in his life and, and what was what's our calling for our own lives. I think most of us have, a, have a, enough understanding of Saul that we know what his calling was. He was called to be the instrument to the Jews, to, to bring the word of God to the Jews. His calling was to share Jesus, to preach Jesus, Acts 9, 19, 21. This is shortly after the whole conversion process for Saul. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a little while. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. And all who have heard it were amazed. Isn't this the same man who just caused devastation among the Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? And didn't he come here to arrest and take back those in the chains to the leading priests? Yes. Saul was that man who was doing that a few weeks ago. But now, Saul is a changed man. And he is now striving after God's calling. Like I said earlier, we're going to really see how, how Saul perseveres after God's calling. The first step in us Pressing on to the calling is one way to proclaim the word. If Saul was not preaching about Jesus, then there would be no reason for him to, to press on to his calling. And that's what we're seeing from Saul in this passage. He's going to be, through all the obstacles, he's going to be pressing on no matter what's going on. And the first step of that is proclaiming the word, taking a stand, preaching and teaching about Jesus. But let, let's take a step back. Let's. God's calling in our own lives. I read this story online of a missionary he was from Africa, and he was uh, spent some time visiting the states, um, preaching the gospel to churches, uh, encouraging them, you know, doing some some awareness about the mission he's involved with. And he was really trying to encourage churches to contribute to the mission field, whether physically or spiritually, through prayers, you know, and offerings. And, you know, after his sermon at, at this one particular uh, small church, he got a kind of mixed response. Some people were, were super excited to guess, we're going to help out, we're going to contribute, we're going to do a short-term mission trip and come help you. Others were like, yeah, I mean, let, let the young guys do that. We'll just sneak out the back door. But at the end of service, this, this one lady dragging behind her son behind him, he went to the missionary, and she's like, I just feel God calling me to be a missionary and to proclaim the word of Jesus to people. And the missionary said to her, yes, he is indeed calling to that. And then he proceeds to point at the little boy she is dragging behind him. And he says, and there is your first little heathen that you need to preach to. Paul's calling was to preach about Jesus. And I truly believe that the calling of the entire church is the same. Matthew 28-18-20, that's that's the great commission of the church. It's not just a calling for the disciples at the time, but it is a calling for all of the followers in the church. Matthew 18-20 reads this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the calling for Christians everywhere. I truly believe that this is the church's one unified calling right here. We all have different strengths, different gifts, but our, our one calling is the same. How to pursue that calling may look different person to person, but we still have one unified goal as a church, one unified calling. And the first step to pressing on to the calling is preaching the word, proclaiming about Jesus In our ways. However we do that according to our our gifts and our strengths. But it's all the same. We have one goal. Preach about Jesus. Share about Jesus. Once we commit to God's calling for our lives, there becomes this big red target on the back. And it gets bigger after you, you commit to this calling. The devil is always throwing obstacles in the, our way. Obstacles for us to, to overcome so we can actually pursue this calling. And that was true for Paul. As he pursued his calling, we see Gutenberg had lots of obstacles to overcome when he was pursuing building his goal. There's always obstacles for us to overcome. We need to recognize that truth. That once we commit to this calling, to preaching and proclaiming about Jesus there will be obstacles that come in our path. We see that of Paul in this very passage. Picking up in verse 22, Acts 9, 22 and following. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some other believers lowered him in a large basket to an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Now drop down to verse 28. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated some of the Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him as well. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea a similar him away to Tarsus, his hometown. Two times, in a, in a short little bit, Paul's life was in danger because he was pursuing his calling. He was sharing about Jesus. Two times, once in Damascus, once in Jerusalem. And not only that, when he, when he first came to Jerusalem, Many of the believers didn't think that he was actually changed, that that was some little, you know, plot to, to get him all mixed up and to throw him right back into prison like he had been all he's doing. There were being obstacles thrown at Saul here. But no matter, despite the obstacles, despite trying to elude two different murder attempts, Saul pressed on. Did you know in the uh, in one of the sports in the Paralympics is skiing downhill skiing? I, I read an article about it in, in the magazine, and I was amazed by this. Some of the participants in this Paralympic skiing were blind, skiing blind. Now I've been skiing a handful of times. And I struggled to downhill ski with both eyes on and protective goggles so I can see well. And yet these people are in the Paralympics skiing blind. Imagine not only overcoming the, the obstacle of being blind and skiing, but there's also a lot of obstacles in the course. You've got to avoid trees and go through flags and avoid rock, whatever. There's not only the, the major obvious Obstacle of being blind and skiing. There's also obstacles in the path, and yet there are people who ski like this. That's crazy. When we proclaim the word of God, pursue God's calling, there will be obstacles to overcome. It's like downhill blind skiing. There are all these obstacles to overcome. In the earliest part of his ministry, Paul over- tried to overcome two death threats, and even the the Jerusalem Christians not actually believing who he really was. They were doubting his life transformation. That's a real struggle right there. When obstacles come to our own lives, and they will, we know that, once we commit to that calling that Jesus has set for us, there will be obstacles that come our way. So when the obstacles come to our life, we must overcome these obstacles, just like the, the song by Mandy. So I'm sure many of you have heard her song. And here, here's her chorus. It reads like this: Starts out saying, "You're an overcomer. Stay in the fight until the final round. You're not going under, because God is holding you right now." You might be down for a moment, feeling like it's hopeless, but that's when He reminds you that you're an overcomer. Yes. You're an overcomer. Church, stay in the fight. Overcome the opposition. Overcome the obstacles. Because they are coming. Press on to the calling. Because it is worth the cost. It is worth all costs to pursue this calling. Press on. One way to overcome our obstacles, or to make our obstacles a little easier, Easier is to surround ourselves with good companions, which leads right into my third point. How many of you have read the book uh, Pilgrim's Progress* by John Bunyan? Eight, come uh, out of uh, sixteen seventy-seven. I was forced to read this in my my uh, junior literature class in high school. Still remember that? I, I know I'm, I'm losing a lot of young people here because I'm, I'm referencing these old people—Gutenberg, Bunyan—but stick with me here for a little bit. This book is it's a great book for our, to read as our Christian lives as we look on to pursuing a calling and overcoming obstacles. Throughout this entire book, Christian is making a journey, making a, a pilgrimage on toward the city of lights or whatever heaven reference it makes in that book. But he once lived in the city of destruction, but now he is pursuing on to basically what is heaven. And if you read this book, it's pretty see-through what it's talking about. But when he was making this journey, making this pilgrimage on, he encountered lots of obstacles. He went through, you know, he just faced the Valley of Death, and the River of Death, and some other place named for death. Apparently it's really scary. But, despite all that, What made those obstacles so much easier to overcome is that when he was traveling with a companion, they were so much easier to overcome. When he was traveling through the valley of death, he had his companion, Faithful, who guided him through the whole process. Guided him through that dark, scary obstacle. It was so much easier for him to overcome. I don't think this character would have made it through that valley without his companion. And when he was traveling to the river of death, right before he reaches those new pearly gates. He was not able to touch the bottom of the river, but hopeful was able to push him onward to get him across that river. Our spiritual walk is so much easier to do, to overcome, when we have like-minded, good companions. We see the same trend here with Paul as we did with our. Christian, the main character in the pilgrim's progress. His companions helped him overcome his obstacles and trials. Acts 9, 24 are following. And they were watching him day and night in the city gates so they could murder him. But Saul was told about this plot from good companions. And during the night, some other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. When Saul arrived, in Jerusalem, he tried to meet the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not actually believe. He was truly changed, truly a believer. Verse 27, we skipped earlier. But Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told him how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus. And how the Lord spoke to Saul and also told him that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. And Saul steered the apostles and went around Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated some of the Greek-speaking Jews, some of the Hellenistic Jews. And they tried to murder him. But the believers, his new companions, heard about this. And they took him to Caesarea and sent him on his way to Tarsus. First obstacle, fellow believers helped Saul. Lowered him through a hole in the wall, in a basket. Second obstacle, those those Jerusalem believers didn't truly think that he had been a changed man a transformed man. But Barnabas didn't hesitate to step in and help out Paul. How about Saul. Third obstacle we overcome in this passage. Another death threat. And the believers helped him out again. Got him out the city and still on his way. We need to surround ourselves with like-minded companions. Surround ourselves with the church. These obstacles, this opposition, the devil, is a tough one. But these obstacles, this opposition is so, so much easier to overcome if you have a good, like-minded companion. It is so much easier to pursue God's calling in your life when you have people around you. You To let the church do its job to surround you. I can't stress that enough. We always hear that that famous movie line that's been probably used several times, I work alone. We see that in the the 2007 Pixar Mr. or the Incredibles movie. And, you know, many times Mr. Incredibles asks about having a sidekick or how does he do this? Does he have any families and that? And he says, I work alone every time. That's how he responds. It got to the point where that bit him in the butt as he goes and pursues this one mission on his island, and it takes his family, who also have superpowers, to come back and save him, and then eventually this whatever machine, this antagonist, threatens his home city. And he tries to do the same thing he just did. He tells his family, No, I work alone. And they're like, Not this time, buddy. Nope. Because he couldn't actually do it on his own. He'd already lost once this thing to his antagonist. And he was going to lose again if he hadn't included his family. We cannot work alone. We cannot live this life together alone. Let the church be the church. We mourn with each other when we mourn. We rejoice together when we rejoice. We live together in unity. We need the help of companions. Not just the companions of our church. But the companionship of the Holy Spirit of Jesus. Matthew 18, 19 and 20. Part of that was the Great Commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, All authority in heaven and on the earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And here's where that part steps in, that that part of hope. And be sure of this, that I am with you even until the end of the age. Not only do we need the church, each other, to overcome these obstacles as we are pursuing God's calling in our lives, pursuing the Great Commission, but we need the help of the Holy Spirit, the help of Jesus being with us. before we uh, begin to conclude, I want to read you these these song lyrics by a band New Song. And I'm pretty certain that they had just read the Pilgrim's Progress and they were writing the song because their lyrics remind me of that. Here's how the course goes. It says, I am a Christian. My name is Pilgrim. I'm on the jury but I am not alone. Jesus is with me and he goes before me. His love surrounds me, and he's leading me home. Having a personal relationship with Jesus is essential for our own sake and for the sake of God's calling. It is essential to have the companions of the church and have the companionship of the Holy Spirit, having Jesus with us. This is, this is my last Sunday, preaching to you guys and giving a sermon. I really want to leave you with this encouragement. Press on to the calling. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says this. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on, profess the to possess the perfection of which Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not yet achieved it, but I focus on this one thing: forgetting the past and looking forward to the lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of grace to receive the heavenly prize of which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. When Paul is writing this letter, he is in prison. He has already traveled.